Well, if you will please turn to Matthew chapter 5. <clears throat> We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount begins in Matthew chapter 5 and it goes through chapter 7. And so generally Jesus is saying, these are the conditions for belonging to my kingdom. These are the qualities of life that my kingdom demands. This is the nature of of my reign and rule in the world. And of course, it's very different, isn't it, from what we're accustomed to, and of course, from what the Jews were. And so, all that he's saying here is the very opposite of everything that Judaism was at the time when Jesus was on the earth. So, Judaism was a human religion. It was a self-made religion. And so, we've seen, we've talked about the Pharisees and the pride and the performance and the self-righteousness and the hypocrisy that characterized the scribes and Pharisees. And so, Jesus is driving right head-on into the inadequacies of human religion. It's the religion of human achievement. What I can do for myself that God ought to be pleased with is really what it's about. And it's not acceptable to God. And the scribes and Pharisees had this religion and they created a religion. They lowered God's standards to be something that they thought they could do. They thought they could achieve it. And so that would set them up as being spiritually superior to other people because they were so satisfied with themselves because they had created their own standard and thereby characterized themselves as righteous. Well, they didn't want to go to God for grace and salvation. They wanted to earn it. We know people like that, don't we? Well, I can do this. I can work my way into heaven. God's going to be pleased with me. I'm a good person. So there's something about us that that kind of gets tucked away in our mindsets. And so they couldn't keep the law of God. So when they couldn't keep the law of God, they invented this man-made system and said, well, if you keep this system, if you're like us, then you're going to be all right. Well, trouble with that was God wasn't pleased with it, right? It wasn't God's law. So starting in chapter 5 at verse 21, Six times Jesus says, you've heard that it was said by them of old, but I say to you. So I want you to recognize immediately that he's got a formula here in these next verses. You have heard, but I say. You have heard, but I say. You have heard from the rabbis, from the traditions from the scribes, from the Pharisees, from those who have interpreted the law for you because you don't know Hebrew anymore and you can't read it for yourselves. So we're going to tell you what it says. And so the people were victim to the Pharisees' opinion of what it said or what the Pharisees wanted it to say. And so there's a lot of that going on in the world today too. So Jesus is saying what you have is not right. It's not it. It is not sufficient because they have reduced the law of God to be something that they felt they could perform, something that they could do. So they've invented this system that they could live up to and then convince themselves that they were righteous. Well, Jesus basically is saying, the system has told you this, but I'm telling you this. 
And so in each of these six illustrations, Jesus lifts the standard back to where God said it should be. And so he reestablishes the biblical standard to replace their substandard system. And so he contrasts their system with God's truth. So his teaching reveals that Pharisees are sinners. Well, they didn't want to hear that. They didn't like that because they were pleased with themselves, pleased with the fact that they could keep the laws that they had made. So Jesus goes on and he shows that God is concerned with our what? Our hearts. God is concerned with what's going on in the inside. God is not concerned with external appearances except as they're related to your heart. So verse 20 down there, chapter 5 and verse 20, really summarizes the whole thing that Jesus is talking about. In verse 20, Jesus says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's trying to show them that their standard is too low. So he's saying to them, you don't belong in my kingdom. You can't get into my kingdom based on the standards and the efforts that you are making. Now, um, while you're there, Matthew, flip on over to Matthew chapter 15 with me for a second. Matthew chapter 15, he kind of addresses it again, over and over again. Um, verse 9. In vain do they worship me. Okay, look at Go back to verse 8. Well, go back to verse 7. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts or the traditions of men okay so it's all based on what men thought so Jesus right there is summarizing the whole Jewish system now go back to chapter 5 and look on down in uh, chapter 5 look on down to verse 48 well that ain't gonna work yeah, there it is. I thought it just had 47 verses for a minute. Verse 48, this is what I'm looking for. Therefore, you are to be what? Perfect. You're to be perfect as your Father who is in heaven is perfect. So he says, look, to be in my kingdom, you have to be perfect. Do we all go, ooh, Okay. To be in my kingdom, you have to be perfect. Well, who qualifies? Nobody. Nobody qualifies. So nobody, by human effort, on his own terms, can get into the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is telling them. It ain't going to work. Callie would say, it's not working. Okay? And so how do you become perfect? If it's going to take perfection to get in there, how do we become perfect? Well, it is imputed to you or put to your account by your faith in Jesus Christ. Perfection is put to your account by your faith in Jesus Christ. It is a gift of his grace. So Jesus is trying to get them to realize that they haven't made it. He's trying to get them to realize that they need grace. 
they need to be saved. So Jesus is saying that he's asking more than the Pharisees are asking. He says, what you're asking is not enough. But he also wants them and us to understand that what he's saying is no different from what's in the Old Testament. Because they were going to want to say, mm, you know, because they, what had they done? They had adjusted the Old Testament to their standards. And so Jesus says, I have not come to change the law, but to fulfill it. So he's trying to calibrate them, to calibrate their thinking away from what they're saying, what the traditions of men are, all the way back to what did God really say? What does the Old Testament really say? So the Lord gives them illustrations of how the scribes and the Pharisees and all the people uh, really felt short, fell short and still do fall short of God's absolute standard. Now look at verse 21 and let's just read through verse 26. Well, I guess I better go back to chapter 5. You have heard, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever, whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be guilty before the supreme court. And whoever shall say you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. If therefore... You are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. Make friends quickly with your opponent at law while you are with him on the way, in order that your opponent may not deliver you to the judge and the judge to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Truly I say to you, you shall not come out of there until you have paid up the last cent. You've heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery with her already in his heart. And if your right eye makes you stumble, take it out and throw it away from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish for your whole body than for your body to go to hell. And so then he goes on with these others. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read all of them right now. You can get home, do it when you get home. But back, back up there in verse 21, the one we're going to look at today, verse 21, he says, You have heard. Where did they hear it? In Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not kill thou shalt not kill so they had heard it they had that right but scripture has a whole lot more to say about murder than just that one thing murder comes in all kinds of ways doesn't it um, violent crimes gang warfare domestic violence abortion suicide comes under the category of murder and so he says whenever you take a life you've committed murder now goodness one of the things that I have really struggled with in preparing these lessons is that we could spend two or three weeks on every one of these six things and I just don't feel like that's the thing to do right now because we're going to lose the context of the Sermon on the Mount if we start 
you know, taking all of these trails off of it. We may come back and do it at another time. But Genesis chapter 9, verse 6 says, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. So capital punishment was instituted as early as Genesis chapter 9. Why? He goes on there to say, For in the image of God made he man. So to take the life of a human being is to assault the image of God. And that carries serious penalty all through the Old Testament, on and on and on. So the commandment, thou shalt not kill, literally says, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not murder. Well, this doesn't refer, murder does not refer to capital punishment or to just war. And there are a lot of Old Testament scriptures that support that. They're what some people call divine allowances. There is a time to kill. If you go back to um, Ecclesiastes, to everything there is a season, time and purpose under heaven, a time to kill and a time to not kill. And so it's all there, and we could spend weeks picking through the details of all of that. Excuse me, because I have to sneeze. Murder was the very first human crime. It was early as Genesis 4. Who killed whom? Cain killed Abel. It's something that's in us. It's something that we're leaning towards. So in scripture, let's just sum it up by saying murder is forbidden by God and it is punishable by death. So John chapter 8, verse 44, New Testament says the devil is a murderer. So where does murder always come from? Comes from the devil, all right? So it's something there because of Satan. So the scribes and the Pharisees were against murder. I mean, they knew thou shalt not kill, and they thought they didn't commit murder, and since they didn't commit murder, then they were righteous, that was their conclusion. And so they justified themselves before the Lord by saying, well, we don't, we didn't kill anybody. We don't, we don't commit murder. Uh, you've heard it. We've done the same thing. I'm not that kind of person. I wouldn't hurt anybody. And so that's their mindset. And so it's like, mm -mm, I'm better than other people because I don't murder. I wouldn't murder. I would never murder. So we set up in our minds a self-righteousness that God says, mm -mm, mm -mm. So Jesus says to them, in your religious system, and they said it right here, in your religious system, you don't want to kill because if you do, you're going to have to go to court. Did you see it? Verse 21, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the what? The court. Well, if you are in, here's what they're saying. If you're going to murder somebody, then you're going to be in danger of getting caught, having to go to court, going to jail, electric chair, whatever. And he says, they were saying, don't kill because if you do, you're going to be in trouble with the law. Well, that would be true. But never mind about God's holy character. They weren't worried about God. They were worried about 
getting caught. All right? And so Psalm 51.6 says what? God desires truth in the inward parts. So verse 22, what does Jesus say? say? But I say to you, here's what God really thinks. Here's where we really are. So you're going to see that it's not the issue of murder. It is the issue of anger and hatred in your heart. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before God's court. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, is going to be guilty enough to go to hell. So the heart is the issue. So summarize it this way. Anger and bitterness and holding grudges are equal to murder in God's mind all of those things in your heart are what cause somebody to murder somebody anyhow right the anger gets so bad so Jesus is saying whatever is going on inside of you is what God judges who is a murderer hold up your hand we all are we're all murderers. First John chapter 3, verse 15 says, Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. Now, brother, in that context, in that passage, the original language is a broad term. It's not a Christian brother. It's a social relationships, people in your life, people in your circle kind of a brother, somebody you know. Okay? And whoever hates that person is a murderer. And then Jesus says, whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of God's judgment. Now, again, if we were going to spend weeks on this, we could talk about righteous anger. There's a right way and a right time to be angry. But what he is saying here is this is selfish anger. This is not righteous anger. So he says, when you're angry with your brother selfishly and unrighteously, then you're going to be in danger of God's judgment. And then verse 22, let's see. Um, Whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. Most commentators say that Raka is an untranslatable term. It's something that was characteristic of their culture, their language that day. It was something everybody knew what it meant, but nobody could define, you know, words like that. Um, it's a word of arrogant contempt. It's a word of despising. Um, it can be a hand gesture. You ever see those on the highway? Raka. Okay? And so what it's saying is you are a worthless, silly fool. Again, it's untranslatable, so it's kind of hard to come up with words for it. But what, it's a word that shows you despise somebody. In that moment. And you want something bad to happen to them right then. Raka. Contempt. Contempt is murder in the heart. And so God says, you know what? The death penalty is deserved for that. And then he says, read on down. 
and whosoever shall say, you fool. Now, literally, that word is our word for moron. Moron. Whosoever shall say, you moron, shall be in danger of hell fire. And so, let's, again, if we were on a four or five week study of this one passage, let me, let me just say this out loud. Jesus called the Pharisees fools, but he was telling them the truth for their own good. Now, there's a difference between addressing the truth of a situation. Now, the book of, book of Proverbs says that a fool lives a life set against God. A fool uh, has, has a life of his own self-will. Uh, a fool hath said in his heart, there is no God for me. Okay? So I'm my own God. And so that's what are the biblical definition of a fool is. And so if I'm confronting Lena with that in her life, and I'm doing it for her good in a loving way, a right way, and a good purpose, then if I say, Lena, you are a fool, then that's not a sin. See the difference? Because I'm telling the truth. But... If I, if I do it in anger, and I say, you, you know, if it comes from a heart of contempt and hatred and anger, God says, that's the same thing as murder. comes in the category of murder. Look at verses 23 and 24, and we'll hurry on here. If, therefore, you're presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, then leave your offering there before the altar. Go your way. First be reconciled to your brother. And then come and present your offering. Well, worship was a major issue with the scribes and Pharisees. They were always in the temple. They were making sacrifices. They were carrying out the law. And Jesus says, uh-uh. He condemns their worship. Because God is concerned with the Heart. Okay? So he says, look, your relationship with other people comes before your worship. Now, real quick, and I know time is running out, so I'm going to hurry, but go with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah 11. I'm going to read this. Verses 11 through 18. I've written down the wrong scripture. I'm going to have to look it back up. I can't tell you off the top of my head. But anyway, I'll read it to you next time. But what he's saying is, don't come to me. I'm sorry. It's Isaiah 1. I was looking, I had too many ones written together. Isaiah 1, verse 11. Isaiah 1, verse 11. God is speaking through Isaiah. He says, here's the word of the Lord. Verse 11. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? Now, God is speaking. What does he say? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. 
Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the solemn assemblies. I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they will be as wool. He's saying, don't come to me and worship with sin in your heart. He says, I'm tired of it. I don't want it. Don't come to me with your religion until you have made your life right with the poor, the oppressed, the orphans, and the widows. Just don't do it. Deal with your brother, God says, before you deal with me. Go to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 9. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery? And swear falsely and offer sacrifices to Baal and walk after other gods that you have not known. And then come and stand before me in this house, which is called by my name, and say, we're delivered. Mm. Mm. Psalm 66 and verse 18, he says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. So let's sum it up. Who is a murderer? Everybody. Everybody. Who deserves death and hell? Everybody. So Jesus is driving the fact that I cannot be righteous on my so what did he do? Jesus stepped up and went to the cross. Okay? We'll start right there next week. God bless you. Remember to pray for each other during the week. And as I get news on these other things, I will, um, I'll, call, I'll, I'll send you an email. Call me if you need me. Love you. God bless you.